Six years ago, my daughter asked me what I would like to be called as a grandfather. So I kind of kicked the idea around for a while, and two years later, my grandson finally gave me a name, and it stuck. And in the process of thinking about a name, and in the process of being a grandfather, I began to reflect on my own grandparents, particularly my grandfathers. Now, Pop was my father's father. Pop went AWOL from the Polish army, and he and his brother fled from Poland, and Pop ended up in New York City. Now, he was probably 18, 19 years old, and as such, he wanted to have a family, and he built himself a little business, nothing big, but uh, he became a family man in New York. He never really mastered the English language, which I think kept him just a little bit confined. But he was a sweet, warm, loving, gentle man. He had these great big chocolate brown eyes that you could just dive into and, and be absorbed by them. I would sit next to Pop and my father on the couch and listen to them speaking Yiddish, and I had no idea what they were talking about. But there was something about the connection, this uh, old man from another country, another world, and he was just such a sweet guy. He and I would sometimes take the elevator down to the ground floor and walk out into the streets of the Bronx, up to the Grand Concourse to the newsstand where he bought the Daily Forward, which was a, a Yiddish newspaper. And we'd walk hand in hand back to his apartment. I'd sit down next to him. And he would read the paper, and for some strange reason, the Daily Forward had photographs with English captions in them. It was the only English in the newspaper. So I'd sit there, and I'd read the captions, and I'd say, Pop, I, this article is about such and such. And he'd look at me, smile, and pat me on the head. He'd say, ah, smart boy, sehr gut, sehr gut. And there was something about Pop, though, I never really understood it until later. There was a, a sorrow that accompanied him. And what it was was he had three of four children predecease him, and he lost his wife as well. So he was in a, he was just this warm character who always treated me with great kindness. Now, my mother's father, is Artie, and uh, Artie was a different kind of guy. He came to this country from Lithuania. He was very young, and being very young, he really grew up with the American dream. He fished as a young boy in the Ozarks, and by the time he retired, he was comfortable. He liked to travel, travel internationally. He liked to dance, he liked to party. He wore nice clothes, he loved to go out dining. And he was a trickster, he was a joker, he was a, he was a character. And uh, he was a, a very robust fellow. Every summer for about four years when I was a kid, say seven, eight, nine, ten, he and Grandma Julia used to pick me up and we'd go up to the state of Maine to go fishing. Now Julia didn't fish, she just sat in a lounge chair all day, but um, Artie and I would get up before dawn, we'd have pancakes, and then we would shove the boat out onto the lake, and we would troll for uh, 
uh, for bass and for uh, pickerel, for sunfish, uh, white perch, and whatever else uh, struck us. And I learned a lot of stuff. I felt empowered by Artie. I, I learned how to bait a hook. I learned how to select spinners. I learned uh, how to spot uh, landmarks on the shore so that I wouldn't get lost. And I learned how to row very quietly without disturbing the water. I learned how to get a hook out of a fish's mouth. So after fishing in the morning, we would head back to the cabin and we would uh, gut the fish and scale them and we had fish for lunch and we had lots of fish for dinner and after our lunch, we would head back out on the lake again. And one particular afternoon, it was my turn to row and I'm, I'm rowing and Artie is sitting in the back of the boat with the stern he's got four lines out and we're trolling for fish and suddenly one of the poles gets struck. So he picks up the rod and starts reeling in this fish, and, uh, and he gets the fish to the side of the boat, and he looks down at it, and he's got this look of absolute disdain on his face, and he grabs the, the leader about two feet from the fish's mouth, and he starts to drag that fish up along the side of the boat, and he's raising his arm up, and he suddenly scribes this arc with his arm, and the, and the fish is out at the end of the line with his face sort of down towards the earth and his tail out in the sky and I see water spraying off of the line and spraying off the fish and it's catching little sparkles of sunlight and it's like slow motion this whole thing and he says god damn red perch too bony to eat and whack he slams that fish on the other side of the boat and I am dumbfounded I'm like eight years old nine years old and he says, keep rowing, you don't want those other lines to snag on the, on the lake bottom. So I'm glad I have something to do, and I'm watching him pull this fish up again the other side of the boat, and his arm goes out, and, he's, and he raises his arm, and I see this, this flesh hanging down underneath the short sleeve t-shirt, and it's like, suddenly I'm like grossed out, and somebody's And he's, and he's beating this fish on the side of the boat. And his eyes are small and beady, and his jaw is set, and he's got this cigar stuck in the corner of his mouth. And his head is, is circled with smoke. Bam! And the next time he draws that fish up, and the fish just flies off the hook, it was totally beaten, and it flips and lands splat on the water, rolls over on its side, and it's totally dead. It's got two little red marks on his belly. And the only explanation I ever got from Artie was that the red perch is too goddamn bony to eat. And they take away food from the other fish in the lake. And I'm looking at this lake, to me it's like the size of Texas. But anyway, 40 years later, Artie dies. And for whatever reason, I get his ashes. And the only instructions that I have is to dispose of his ashes the best way I see fit. So, naturally, I put them in my closet for 10 years. <laughs> Finally, one week, my cousin comes up from Los Angeles to, to work in, in town. And I call him up, I 
say, Jeremy, I've got Grandpa Artie's ashes. Come with me and let's dispose of these ashes. He says, fine. So we go out to the coast and we find this beautiful promontory over the water. And we say a couple of things in Hebrew. We make up, I think it's a prayer for the wine or something. <laughs> to the air, and, and then he's taking pictures. He took a great picture of me throwing this stuff in the air, and I'm throwing these bits of bone and grit out into the sky, and I'm down to about the last handful, and I grab it, and I throw it out there, and suddenly the wind changes, and bam! I get hit with, with grit in my teeth and my eyes, my ears, my hair, it's my neck, it's like Artie is covering me. Guy out, but I was to laugh. Because, because truly, Artie was a joker and he always had to get the last word in. Now, in the years between his the fishing expeditions with him and his his casting his bones out to sea, I learned that Artie really did have kind of a mean streak in him. And unfortunately, a lot of his meanness got deposited, some of it got deposited in, in my own mother, and I became aware that I was inheriting some of these qualities, and I, and I became concerned. So I started to think about Pop a little bit more, the sweet guy, and I built a little altar in honor of Pop, and I put it on my mantle. And of course, it was really an altar to the qualities that I, that I gave to Pop, this kindness and compassion. And uh, then a little later on, I found a passage in a Rumi poem. And it said, it said, your defects, your defects are the means by which glory becomes manifested. And it went on to say that whoever looks inside and clearly sees the the diseased portion of himself will then begin to gallop away. And I thought, wow, this is really interesting. This is food for thought. And I thought, well, Artie and Pop, maybe they're not, they don't represent these opposites that I always thought they did. Maybe they were just two guys with their own brokenness, their own problems, their own faults. And, and so then I began to think about my grandchildren. And I thought, well, whenever my grandchildren call me and they say, hey, Budo, and they want my attention, I realize that, that I want to gallop to their, to their sides. I want to give them that window where at some point they will understand their family history in, a, in maybe a more benign light. And then I thought, I hope that someday in the future when my grandkids are out there casting my ashes out to the sea, they don't get any blowback. 